Are we doing our book thing again? Uh, I have not been reading anything. <gasps> I haven't. Who are you? I was sick for a whole week. What's new? Nothing? No, Nothing? I, I'm sorry. I, the, the, the new in my life was that I was super sick. Last week I got the flu and it was very ill-timed. Was it the flu? It was the flu. It was the flu. It was Definitely the flu. the flu. It was ill-timed because everybody thought I had coronavirus and I'm not saying it just lightly because I went to the clinic and the questions that I was asked as well. So I was appreciative of the well, fact that's positive. that yeah, screening. people are screening. So I was actually very impressed by that because it's a small little clinic in my neighborhood. Yet, the first question that was asked or the first bunch of questions that were asked for screening questions. So, I was very impressed, but I was very unproductive because I got super sick. I've never had the seasonal flu before. Ever. You've never had the flu I've before? I've never had the flu before. I've had like a cold and a cough, but this was like the real flu when... And I was reading about it, obviously now I'm self-learned uh, flu mechanics and how flus work and oh my god yeah, that's something i did do even though i was even when you were i was sick, sick i was reading up on what, what yes how flus are spread and what how is it different and the point is that it hits you like it hits a you like bus, a bus apparently yeah you feel like you've been hit by a bus and then four days on five days on with like high fever running it i went up to 103.8 fahrenheit that's high for over like 48 hours yeah wow but i'm back on my feet starting monday last week i've been feeling better so I'm back on my feet and uh, I've been doing... So to clarify, you don't have like five film and book recommendations for us today. I don't for a change. I have not watched anything. There's two, two films that I'm going to watch this weekend, early next week, which I'm really looking forward to. Mm -hmm. So I can recommend those, which you... I have not watched them. Why but... don't you recommend what you're going to watch? Then? Well, there's a film out of Russia. It's set in World War II. It's a story about a nurse. And apparently it's a great film. It's called Beanpole. Okay. And um, there's another one that has come out of uh, India, which is this film about uh, two men falling in love, which is very interesting for Bollywood. Yes, yeah, so, so the, a, main, the mainstream yeah, Bollywood. Can mainstream you, Bollywood. Can you give us the title? Uh, so it's basically a sequel to an earlier film of a similar name. It's called, oh my God, Shubh Mangal Zyada Savdhan. So Shubh Mangal basically just means good luck. And Zyada Savdhan would imply uh, you should be careful of too much luck. Yeah. So I'm actually excited to watch that film as well because it's this uh, mainstream Bollywood actor who's obviously doing a mainstream mm -hmm. um, gay character. But he does a lot of interesting he films. He does, yes. He has actually done very interesting films. Aishman Karana, if anyone That's the, the actor's name from Erectile Dysfunction to... Like he's done these... He's very done very interesting, interesting new films yeah, that yeah. are also mainstream. Yeah. That have done very well commercially as and well. And even Shubhmangal Zada Savhan has actually done decently well for the subject matter. Yeah. And the response of obviously out of India are very interesting and I'll spare people the details. You can watch YouTube videos, which I obsess over when oh, they do indeed. film reviews. Yeah, I love watching public uh, film reviews yeah. out of um, certain countries because I think it's very interesting. Like that, people who go watch the yes, film and then because you don't the do that in North America anymore. No, we don't. So you'll have like... Uh, but in India, it's always a It's thing. always like that. So you stand outside the cinema and you wait for people to come out and then you just kind of put questions yeah, what to did them. you think? Yeah. So the public feedback. So that's always fascinating to yeah. me. It kind of gives you this interesting... Yeah. Um, uh, take on how people are engaging or consuming uh, things. So yeah, that's where I'm at. And Charles. Okay, that is actually a film that I also want to watch. Okay. Okay. Um, 
And then the only other thing that I have to recommend, it's the memoir of Tan France, uh, Naturally oh, yes, Tan. You, yeah, you spoke about it. Um, I just find him to be really, I mean, inspirational, but also kind of someone to look up to as a person who is of Pakistani background, uh, minority background in mainstream media. And he doesn't necessarily... Gay. That's a problem. And he's gay. Person, yeah. um, and he doesn't necessarily kind of project himself as a role yeah. model. But I think that the way he has addressed certain things and carries himself and discusses certain things... Um, with a matter-of-fact kind of nature, but also calling out um, inequities in our society and being kind of very honest about his experiences has been really eye-opening to me. And, you know, for a person who has that particular background, a Pakistani gay man um, from a Muslim family, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something that you don't see very often. And uh, And his memoir is really engaging and it's really interesting to kind of, in his own words, hear his experiences. I also just love him. Like, I love him. I just love him. Go buy his book and read it. Um, I love the the Patriot Act mm-hmm. uh, on Netflix. Hassan Minaj. Hassan Minaj. But my favorite one was the episode when Tan France uh, got on like a Skype call with Hassan Oh, Minaj. I love that episode. When he's trying to tell him about his uh, wardrobe choices. <laughs> it is the most hilarious, hilarious episode in the world. Because yeah. I love Hassan Minaj and the shock every time Tan France like, well, those shoes did not go with that sweater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I, I love recommend... It. Um, Trying to find that episode on Patriot Act on Netflix. Yeah, it's on the Patriot Act um, YouTube. And these two guys are hilarious. And then at the end, they like they say, "Oh, we'll see you. We'll see each other soon, or talk to each other soon." Inshallah, which yes. is so meaningful which is so, to, so, so, to so when you when it's constantly like Absolutely. demonizing people of Muslim backgrounds. Absolutely. But our like our culture is being yeah. on display now. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, no, I it's love it. it's such an amazing episode, and I love and I love both both Tan Pans and Samina. Yeah. Uh, What else do we want to talk about, Karan? What's been going on? Well, obviously, uh, what's been going on is that the world is talking about the coronavirus, right? Yes, so many people saying so many things. Uh, So what we thought uh, for this episode is to just kind of talk about, not as um, health experts. Yeah, we're we're not not, public health experts. Yeah, we're not the public health experts. But what we (laughs) wanted to talk about was just how uh, the virus is being reported in the media, how certain countries are being spoken in a particular light versus Mm -hmm. others. Um, An impact on Asian communities that we're seeing. Absolutely, absolutely. Because obviously it's originated out of China, um, then also the first spread from South Korea to other countries in Mm -hmm. Asia and the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And now it's obviously made it to North America, Europe, everywhere else. But still, I think the reporting has been, or the media coverage of the the virus has been very interesting, kind of skewed, in my opinion. It's quite uneven, right? So if you kind of listen to what experts are saying with regards to how Iran and China... Um, have handled the outbreak incompetence or secrecy or um, and and however that much might be true it's skewed with like a kind of a hostile bias like yeah. you know and I think it does do a disservice in that it furthers stereotypical views of people that come from places such as this, right? So, you know, the automatic assumption is to think that Europe, the US, uh, Canada, you know, the Western Western countries and quote-unquote civilized countries are well-equipped and and well-managed in terms of containing outbreaks. Um, The fact is, not necessarily, like the US doesn't have enough testing kits. They've only mm-hmm. now put in um, uh, the money to address this on a national scale. Uh, the CDC, however, has been, their funding has been slashed 
yeah. incredibly under the Trump, under the Trump administration. administration. Yeah. He basically has reversed everything that the Obama and Bush administrations did in response to anthrax, in response to Ebola, where they really did pump in a lot of resource and money mm-hmm. into these mm-hmm. agencies to contain the spread because mm-hmm. they saw what could happen. Mm-hmm. He slashed all of that because it's Trump. And I don't And it was just yesterday, I think, that the Senate approved an $8 billion billion funding package. This is obviously two weeks. It's a bit late now for this. Because there's no preparedness. And I think my whole problem with the whole coverage of the coronavirus was that how did something that is impacting human beings around the world, or Mm -hmm. there was a potential of it impacting, whether it's H1N1 or SARS or whatever happened in in the past other pandemics that we've had, I think how did this become suddenly a discussion around race and ethnicity and if you're a certain... But it happens every time. We saw it with Ebola. We yeah. saw it with uh, with the SARS, particularly that come from Toronto. We saw it. In, we saw yeah, it against yeah. uh, Asian communities in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Um, extensively, there was racist acts and and vandalism and violence yeah, against yeah. them. Um, and we're seeing it here, like mm-hmm. in Chinatown in Montreal. There have been a number of vandal Absol- vandalizations, attacks. right? Attacks so and the lions and were vandalized temples, businesses. And I, th- and I think for me, what is always telling, and yes, I think it's happened before, that we don't seem to learn. Yeah. So we have to wait for these, in this case, the virus to actually have people infected in Europe and North America before we realize yeah. that it is a global thing and we're all in this together. Obviously, the whole reporting in North America has been skewed, as we were saying, but also there's no really taking the country or the governments to task in terms of where they're lacking. Mm-hmm. Right. So even in the US now, I think people have... Uh, come out on some news. Uh, People are outlets. now starting to talk. Yeah, some news outlets are going to talk about or have been talking about the lack of response from the administration. And it's not just the administration per se. I am not saying that I expect Trump to do more. But even at the, the levels of the CDC and across the United States, it's not just the federal government that has not been responsive enough. It's also state governments. Uh, it's but it also- doesn't help when the states are actually, they are responding. So California, Washington, they've been actually taking this seriously. But then you have the complete counter messaging from the president saying yeah. that, uh, oh, it's just a flu. Don't worry, yeah. but it's yeah. just yeah. it's going to go away by the summer when the weather when, warms up. What or is when this? you have your, uh, va- the vaccine is going to be out in like a few months. No, that's not how vaccines work. <laughs> Why is nobody talking about the incompetence there? Yeah. Like we're yeah. constantly talking about how Iran is incompetent, which they very well might be. Sure. And I think it's also about uh, what is the job of where either it's the government or the media in situations like this. And that's the other thing we're talking mm-hmm. about, right? What the role of any sort of um, the fourth estate, etc., is not certain. It's not to either spin a story, um, uh, paint a, a whole ethnic group of people as being the, the problem in this case, because it came from China. It's about informing people and making sure that the information that's being uh, disseminated it's is accurate, accurate. Exactly. and that's the other thing that we've been talking about yeah. right so there is a phrase uh, that's been coined out of a, from a researcher from northeastern or northwestern yeah northwestern um we're calling it an infodemic now because yeah. there's so much competing information. information and disinformation about yeah. this yeah, um it's to the point now where the who has started to take to TikTok, they've partnered with TikTok to release uh, videos on the spread of disease and of COVID nineteen, which yeah, is yeah, so yeah. interesting that they're having to do this at this level because of the, the scale of disinformation out there, right? And it's happening on social media channels, right? So it's happening on like all of the kind of social media channels in China, WhatsApp, um, Facebook, who claims that they're dealing with it. Yeah, as no, they claim they're, part- they're dealing yeah, with they're it. referring people to the WHO, which yeah, is, which yeah, I mean anyway. I'll take it with a grain of salt. But yeah, it is Facebook. And we're lucky, I think, in Canada, I have to say, I have to credit the government. The response has been pretty consistent. 
uh, Health That's Canada's true. website had the information from like three weeks ago when I started accessing it. They have all the updated information, how many people have been infected, uh, what uh, measures have been taken at screening people at airports. And there's not been a reaction in Canada of just kind of banning flights from certain countries, etc. So I have to say that I've been very um, heartened and impressed mm -hmm. with how the government's responded. Obviously, there was an allocation of $20 million that came yeah. out of uh, last week from Ottawa that they would put money resources in managing the, the spread of the coronavirus. So I think that's something that I would like to see more. Mm -hmm. um, BC is also taking some very uh, key absolutely. steps to contain there because now they're sort of starting to see that it's being spread um, through community. Exactly. So it's kind exactly. of beyond a source external. It's not exactly. coming just exactly. from travel. So, yeah. so, you know, I'm confident in the system here. I'm confident in our healthcare system as well. Um, I know that people like to say a lot of things about our healthcare system, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but but it is we're competent. We're seem to be well resourced now, um, at least, and and we don't we have access, right? And that's key. And and I think it, this might be a discussion for a future episode. I think all of this, something like a coronavirus or something that is uh, an epidemic that's kind of taking over the, uh, the or spreading around the world, not taking over the world, but spreading around the mm -hmm. world. I think that also begs questions about access to healthcare and exactly. what healthcare system should we have in place so that it doesn't matter what economic um, level you're from, yeah. you're getting access to whether it's a, a testing kit or if you're sick, whether you need to self-quarantine or quarantine at mm -hmm. a hospital. Mm -hmm. And then the consequences of that to people who do not have benefits exactly. from sick leave and gig being, workers. Yeah. Uh, to be able to stay at home or when they are sick yeah. do they have only like uh, the choice of being unpaid for the duration of their sickness yeah. so I think those are larger social discussion we yeah. should I think follow up and which we have, have had we had it after SARS we had it after H1N1 and we're continuing to have it now it seems that we just don't seem to learn our lessons right Absolutely. like the Absolutely. kind of the logics of uh, profit versus benefit to keeping people at home and stemming this the spread of disease seems to be an ongoing discussion. Although there is research that does suggest that if we do have adequate sick, sick leave benefits mm -hmm. for, for employees, that that actually quantifiably does stop the spread of disease. Um, so there's that. So to wrap this up, yeah. just a few kind of key practical tips in terms of uh, evaluating the information that you're seeing. You know, exercise common sense, right? So where mm -hmm. is this coming from? Where is the piece of information um, coming from? It. What's the account? What's the article? Who shared it or created yeah. created it? When, where, that kind of thing. It's a um, primary source or a secondary source. And I, these are, I think, little things that we can look out for. Yeah, you know, really be critical, right? It's, it's really a time to exercise those critical thinking skills and where things are coming from. Because I think we don't realize it, and this happens to all the best of us. I believe there was so much information out there that we just kind of latch on to small pieces of information exactly. without going behind it and trying yeah. to find out where it's being sourced from. And something as serious as this, I think it should be applied across the board. It should not be selective, but Absolutely. something as serious as this, where there's medical consequences, there's consequences of how we engage with people, mm -hmm. how we're treating our coworkers or people in our community, etc. Mm -hmm. And then also not being misinformed ourselves. Exactly. The other thing that I will say is wash your hands <laughs> regularly, five yes. to 10 times a day, for yeah. 20 seconds a piece. Please. Please wash your hands. Wash between the nooks and crannies. Wash your nail beds. Just wash your hands and don't touch your face and don't be racist. Yeah. Plain don't and be simple. racist. <laughs> that is plain and simple and, I, and I, simple. I love that. Evaluate love your it. sources. Wash your hands. And don't, don't be, be racist. racist. Very easy. <laughs>
The other thing that I just wanted to mention today is the protest that we've been having across Canada where... The rail um, protests. Yeah, the, the rail protests. So basically, First Nations communities, Indigenous peoples have uh, blockaded railway tracks mm -hmm. in different parts of Canada where whether it's uh, local commuter trains or sea uh, trains, the goods that are transported around mm -hmm. Canada, have been obstructed because of protests by these communities. And there's different reasons why people are protesting ar around the country. There's no one reason, but obviously there's the pipeline issue out west. Yeah, that's kind of the The catalyst. trigger, yeah, the trigger behind it. I was actually encouraged before we started recording the episode because Shazma kind of shared with me that she's also heard a lot of pos positive discourse yeah, around it. Yeah, there has been. I have not been uh, privy to it. Maybe I've not been looking in the right places, but I've not seen a lot of just overwhelming support for the protests. I think that there's been, um, at least from the sources that I choose to listen to, that there has been that critical engagement with uh, why these these things are happening, or at least an interrogation of the media. Because mm -hmm. I do think that you're right. The mainstream media has been presenting... Um, what you could see as an unsupportive bias um, yeah. against the protest because the questions are always around inconvenience, Absolutely. economic implications. Absolutely. But that's the whole point, right, of a yeah. protest. Yeah. Um, it was very heartening too to see on Twitter, and this might just be, this might be skewed because of the people that I follow and algorithms work like this, but I did see quite a bit of responses to via, the VL rail closures mm -hmm. saying um, that people were, this is fine. Like, it's fine, I'm inconvenienced minor in a minor way, mm -hmm. um, but the impact on First Nations communities and Indigenous peoples in, in terms of what we do as a matter of policy in this state yeah. is much more um, than our minor inconveniences. And that's the only recommendation I have. I think we need to look be behind uh, the protests in terms of what's, uh, what's the real root cause of this. It's uh, centuries and centuries of uh, colonial history of our country. And that's what's, I think important and yes there is elements of inconvenience etc which i'm not going to like speak to if you're inconvenienced if you have to take a bus instead of a train to get to work sure there's a bit of inconvenience there but i really recommend that we critically engage with this this is an important issue this is the issue that is impacting our communities in 2020 mm -hmm. whether it's access to clean drinking water something i repeat over and over again because i think it's such an oppressing matter to a community who does not have access to cleaning drinking mm -hmm. water and obviously disallowing use of uh, land and resources to yeah. indigenous communities and then uh, implementing these big commercial projects yeah. uh, by stifling their rights. So I think there's a there's a larger discussion that needs to be had and let's be mindful of that. Yeah, and I mean, I, I say this as a, a person who was uh, significantly affected by the closures um, and I won't go into detail about how or why, yeah, yeah. but um, this is the point of a, 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 a protest. Exactly. This is the point. There is exactly. This is your way to get attention because you're not able to get attention in exactly. any other way. Exactly. That is the whole point of civil disobedience. If there is no impact, there is no discussion. Yeah. And, you know, there, were, there was a whole kind of conversation around belonging, the state, the state's responsibility to its citizens when things, when injustices happen mm -hmm. um, around the world or within the state itself, that if you're not getting the response or the attention that you feel you desire or are um, entitled to um, as minority communities, what is your next step? Mm -hmm. It is literally civil disobedience, civil disobedience and to... to to inconvenience people because Absolutely. that seems to be the only way yeah. and frankly the only kind of um effective way to do it is by blocking the kind of sources of our economic Absolutely. kind of because if there's no economic impact if there's no impact nobody's going to no listen discussion. to you yeah because all the reconciliation and again i don't want to completely diss the process of reconciliation that's going on in canada i think they may be valid and important we can have a separate discussion about it but i think there's something to be said that people 
in the cold of January, February, yeah. have decided to sit in protest, to camp out, camp out in the cold and blockade railway tracks. I, I'm 2000% sure that it does not give anybody any pleasure. Yeah. These people have been pushed to the brink. That exactly. is why they have to resort to these. Uh, I mean, living in a police state for indigenous communities does not give them pleasure either. Yeah. Not having clean drinking water does not give anyone pleasure. And then either. basically stripping their land rights from them. Exactly. And it raises all kinds of questions around the validity of the state and all these kinds of things that I think that we're hesitant to have. So anybody who is even remotely inconvenienced by this, uh, again, my request to you is please think hard, look behind what's being fed in the media. Even uh, I was so discouraged, and I guess he has to do it. Trudeau comes out and says that, oh, these protests need to stop. There's this kind of this very overarching uh, colonial mindset. I will tell you how you should be, and the government will tell you mm. how you need to protest now. So I was very, very disheartened by that. Yeah, but there's all kinds of pressures too, right? The premier of Alberta, oh, um, Jason Kenney, Kenney. <laughs> saying all kinds of things about how Trudeau should intervene. He's in a precarious position right now in terms of his leadership. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah relationship with the provinces i mean i kind of see why that was uh, politically expedient for him to do um but again it it raises all kinds of questions about the validity of the state about the way that we treat people about the way uh, the state of uh, minority populations and indigenous populations in this country and what we prioritize before we close i quickly want to mention the horrendous rioting that happened in india that's again uh, something that has been uh, something I've been following very very obsessively. It's very close to my heart. Things have been going downhill for a few years since, since this government, the current government, since the Modi government. Yeah, the current um, uh, Hindu nationalist right wing government came to office in 2014. So, uh, but last August, uh, again, people who followed it, the changes that happened in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. But right now, with the whole uh, discussion around the Citizenship Act amendment that the government's brought in, but literally 48 people died in the capital of India in religious riots in religious riots a week ago and I feel that it is it's so telling that even reports around the world in the media etc are not taking India to task for what just happened yeah I think it just is being glossed over as something that just happened as an isolated incident but 48 people dying 48 innocent lives lost in the capital of uh, the largest democracy in the world in quotations democracy in quotations because let's be real uh, I think it's just, to me, it was heartbreaking. It's shameful. And, um, uh, yeah. Um, but, uh, there has been some civil action, um, at least here. There are some groups that are, you know, holding rallies. And I have not been partaking. I am sitting this one out because I'm tired. That's all. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, I'm, I'm a Muslim I'm, Indian person, and I'm yeah, tired. Absolutely. I'm tired. And I think, to me, I, I never self-identified as, like... Uh, a Hindu, I was born in a Hindu family, but I just feel that the discussion, the discourse around it and the violence that has resulted is just so, uh, again, I'm using the word again, it's shameful. It's extremely embarrassing mm -hmm. to me. I can't even, for the longest time, I think it was okay to uh, rationalize, explain why things happen a certain way in a country like India, given the size of its population, given its colonial history, etc. Whether you talk about misogyny, casteism, etc. But this kind of sectarian violence that has been orchestrated by the state, yeah. I think there's absolutely no justification. I'm sorry. 
that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if people uh, around the world actually know the history of this party itself. That this is the movement that assassinated Gandhi to yeah, begin with. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that most people know that, and so I don't know how serious they are. They, I don't know. I don't know how seriously they take the threat. And I think it's also about impact, right? It doesn't really impact people in the West. What's happening to Muslims in India? And I think I was listening to somebody speak about this. Is a, I think a Reuters journalist. I'm not going to name them. And I think they were talking about how something like this would happen in a Paris or London. It would have a very different impact in terms of how the media covered it. Yeah. But I think there are these two windows through which a country like India is seen. One, see it as this like uh, continually colonial lens of how India is uncivilized mm-hmm. versus the other one where it's this economic uh, giant which yeah. is emerging and seen as a, a place of just investment yeah. and opportunity. But it's interesting too when you see the protests happening in Hong Kong, you see widespread media coverage of it. Exactly. Because exactly. it's in China and uh, we're, you know, we're against the Chinese state as an ideology. As an ideology, as an, as an economic superpower that is emerging uh, in opposition to the West, right? So uh, yeah. again, I feel that there's more nuance there and I think there's more critique that is warranted yeah. in what's happening. And I think uh, I do feel global pressures mean something, they matter. And that's why I think there has to be more from around the world. People like us who are of Indian origin, who live out um, outside in of the, the country, mm-hmm. in the diaspora, we try to contribute in our own way in raising voices around these issues. But I think there's more that needs to be done. So. Yeah, I mean, I say I'm sitting it out, but I'm not. I can't by virtue of who I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't. But say that. Um, on that, so I guess note, yeah, that's that's <laughs> it for today. Um, yeah. Till the next time. Till next time. The Ethnic Boat is hosted and created by Shazma Abdullah and Karan Singh. It is produced by Alex Jureko. Music is Rewind by Jay Someday. Um, follow us on our socials at ethnicvotemtl. Thank you for listening. Be safe, be hygienic, don't be racist. <laughs>